There we go. Folks are getting on in so we can dig in and get into the word. Gift always to come together in prayer and get to pray together. And it's also beautiful that we get to take this time to get in the word. And I think it's, again, that reminder for us as we're going through day in and day out, take that time to pause, take that time to ponder, take that time to pray, take that time. Don't let it just be now, but take it tomorrow, take it even after this, go home and do it. But just um, continuing that exercise of taking that and building that discipline. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight, Lord. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for the fellowship of the brothers and sisters of believers, Lord God. And Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have it to delve into, Lord God. Thank you for your faithfulness in preserving it, Lord. And thank you for how you remind us when we read it, Lord, how it is a living word, how it is relevant to every single thing, Heavenly Father. We thank you for the hope we find it. We thank you for the security we find in your word. Be with us now, Lord, as we delve into your scripture. Illuminate what is needed, Heavenly Father. Let us focus on you. Use me as your vessel for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we were in Psalm 19. And with that psalm, again, we saw creation. We saw an emphasis on the word of God. And we saw that in light of those two things, we reflect on ourselves a bit. And we explored last week creation versus evolution and that reminder to all of us, stand for creation, speak up. Um, We also saw that personal shift that took place in the text last week when the word came up. We left El, that generic term for God, to Yahweh and that personal relationship and that reminder for us of the intimate personal relationship we have with the word of God. Last week through Psalm 19, we answered two questions. How do you know God is real? Creation. Knowing he's real, what does he expect from you? The word of God gives that to us. The word of God goes through it. We read it and we saw law. We saw testimony. We saw statutes. We saw commandments. We saw fear. We saw judgments. Six different words that were describing the word of God. And with each of those, we saw attributes and we saw results that come from that. And when we look through all of that, again, what does it do? Drives us to look at ourselves, to look at the sin within ourselves, to look at what needs to be cleaned out because the word of God becomes a warning and it also becomes a reward for those who seek him. And I think of where we are in Psalms, I think of where we are in John, and I just see this steadfast reminder for Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, be anchored in the word of God. And when we think of everything that's going on globally, when we think of what's going on in Israel and everything that we're seeing in our country, be anchored in the word of God. Because we have the roadmap for how things are going to go and we have the call to stay urgent and steadfast in sharing the gospel that people come to know our beloved Savior. Now the charge check-in from last week, one, was look to creation and stand for creation. How did you do with that? Did you get outside a little bit? Did you stand? Anybody start any, uh, you know, protest? No, I'm just kidding. But again, look to creation, stand for creation. Two last week, the charge, read, heed, be freed. Read the word of God, heed the word of God, and you're freed if you're truly doing that. How are you doing with those things? Are you reading? Are you heeding? Are you walking in that freedom that we have? Search your hearts on that continually. And the third, I won't make anybody stand up and tell me if you did it, 
But did you share Psalm 19 with someone? Did you take Psalm 19 and say, hey, let's talk about this? You, you asked me once how I know God's real. Can I, let's, let's look at this. Start reading this with me. I encourage you, if you didn't do that yet, do it. Take that chance. Put the word of God before people. Now, tonight, we are going to continue onwards, and the message tonight is, O Lord, Our God. That's the title of tonight's message. Stuff to know, I said we're going to do Psalms 20 and 21. We're going to do Psalm 20 tonight. It'll be part one of this message. We'll do part two next week. Um, But again, I want us to think, as we look at Psalm 20, remember what the book of Psalms is. It's the hymn book of the early church. We talked about that in the introduction. Remember, this is a book of prayer and praise. And as we go through tonight's text, I want us to be truly open to the Holy Spirit teaching us about prayer and praise. In this, we also have this reminder that we're looking at the consistency of one person as we've gone so far in our study of Psalms, because the author that we keep seeing is who? David. Time and time again, we keep seeing this one, and guess what? Today's is by David. And again, it's a chance to remind ourselves, if you had your book of Psalms for your life, Is it consistent like David's? Are you pointing continually to the faithfulness and character of God, or do you get lost and stay in the feelings and me, 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 me? Just a check, just a question. Now, Psalm 20 itself, it's categorized, remember the different categories we talked about with the Psalms, as a royal psalm. And the other royal psalms would be Psalm 2, 21, 45, 72, 101, 110, 132, and 144. And if you want those numbers, see me after. I'll give them to you. But those are the royal psalms. That's, that's the ones that we would see like that, celebrating, honoring the king. They would be sung when there's royal ceremonies, such as the coronation. But also with these royal psalms, and we've already done Psalm 2, that one is also a messianic psalm, you'll see points to Messiah coming. You'll see when we look at these royal psalms, allusions and things that make it so clear, yes, we're talking about a king of that time, but we're also looking to the ultimate king of justice and peace and power, Messiah to come, Jesus. That's what's going on there. And again, when you see that, and if we think about Psalm 2, you can see why as we go through the Gospel of John, there's that desire, is this the political figure that we want? But we know with the whole word of God, Jesus is so much more than just a political figure. He is not that. He's the savior of the world, king of the world. Now, with this psalm, there's a theme that we're going to see within this prayer and praise. And that theme is trust. Trusting God for the battle. Trusting God for the victory. Which means I had to go to my 1828 Webster's because I love it. So I'm going to read a few things that we see in that on trust. Confidence, a reliance or resting of the mind on the integrity, veracity, justice, friendship, or other sound principle of another person. He that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Proverbs 29, 25. He or that which is the ground of confidence. O Lord God, thou art my trust from my youth. Psalm 71, 7. Trust, to place confidence in, to rely on. We cannot trust those who have deceived us. He that trusts everyone without reserve will at last be deceived. To believe, to credit, to commit to the care of, in confidence, trust your maker with yourself and all your concerns. To venture confidently, trust in the Lord and do good. Psalm 37.3, they shall be greatly ashamed that trust in graven images. Isaiah 42, 17. 
Don't you wish that was the dictionary every school used? I'm just saying. But in this, we see trust. And I want us to think about that as we go through this psalm. Psalm 20 is before the battle. Psalm 21 is going to be after the battle. And the psalm that we're looking at, this is David. And at this point now, this is King David of Israel. And he's preparing for war. And this psalm, I will say, in the preparation, it was quite interesting and led to a lot of prayer for Israel in the midst of the preparation. Because as we look at this, this is just such a heart of prayer that we need to have for that nation right now. And it is a prayer for the people of Israel to see Jesus unto salvation, to know Yeshua, Messiah, came. He's coming again to see that. And within this Psalm 20, we're going to see prayer for the king of Israel and realize, yes, this is prayer that the people are bringing forth for the king because even the one with the crown, even the one with all the power and might needs prayer. And it's a reminder to us we can't neglect prayer. Because through prayer, we're able to pray for God's protection. We're able to pray for God's presence, his enablement to do the duties that we need to do. There's physical battles and there's spiritual battles. And guess what? Both need to start with prayer to trust only mercy and grace of God. That's where the trust needs to be anchored and put. When we trust in God, we're secure. When we trust in ourselves, guess what happens? We fall down. The battle's going to be lost. In this psalm, we're going to be reminded that triumph can come from only God alone. That is the name to be remembered. That is the name to be praised. And for us with the whole word of God, that name goes beyond because we know Jesus is God. Jesus, author and finisher, Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. Now, if we think about the early church, if we think about the unbelief that we saw there, the pride was keeping the unbelief. It's continual rejection. And guess what? It's the same thing today. And Psalm 20, applicable then, applicable today, trusting God. And that reminder for us as we look at this text that in times of war, there's that spiritual battle and war for souls. And again, thinking of this psalm as a prayer that the people are giving before King David, king of Israel, goes to war. It's a prayer that we should be praying right now for that nation. We'll see three parts to this psalm. We're going to see first the voices of the people in the beginning. We're going to see them asking. We're going to see them coming in prayer. Then in verse 6, we're going to see David's encouragement to the people because he's assurance is found in God. We're seeing a confident leader, but guess what? That confident leader isn't confident in self. His confidence is in God Almighty. And this precious psalm ends with the voices united unto the king in surrender, resting in God's sovereignty. Because in prayer, in praise, it must be anchored in his sovereignty. Your will be done. David has his plans and his hopes but he commits the outcome to one alone, God. Now, as we go through this psalm, given this royal psalm, as we study it tonight, we're going to be continually looking at the text, at the context of what's going on in the time period, but then we're also going to look at the application to King Jesus because we have the full counsel of the word of God, so we're going to take the study of this particular psalm, N21, in accordance with that because, again, those royal psalms are going to always give points, give allusions to Messiah to come. 
Now, as we go through these nine verses, there's going to be something we're going to continually see. Confidence and reliance in God. Security in God's proven character. And the power and importance, saints, of intercessory prayer. It's a very vital, important thing that this psalm reminds us. So, let's dig in to Psalm 20. And I'm going to actually read the whole thing, uh, and then we'll dig in. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. Now, this starts with the title, To the Chief Musician, A Psalm of David. This is, again, a title that we've seen many times, and I told you every time we see the chief musician, who's excited to be in Jesus' choir? Hands up. I am. That's what we're looking at here. And what's a little different with this one is we see that this starts with the voices of the congregation of a multitude of people. So these lyrics, it may be, some speculate that it could be that these were words that at one point were actually prayed and given on behalf from the people unto King David, and then he took those to then put this song together unto the Lord. Now with that, verses 1 through 5 and verses 7 through 9, we see in the first person plural, but verse 6, in the middle there, we're going to see in the first person singular, that voice of David. But this overall is the people united in God's spiritual strength and the people united in his glory. So we start with verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah. May the Lord, may the name, may he. Five verses, and we see those variations of may six times. Because the people, the multitude are coming together. They're coming with this request on behalf of the king, gearing for battle. The people of Israel are praying for their leaders, for their leader. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May he answer God's faithfulness. May he be faithful to respond to you, King David, in the day of trouble. There's war ahead. And this day of trouble, it can have application for us individually. And you can hear so many devotionals that take this psalm and make it all about God's got you in your troubles and all of that. And it's like, okay, but we're kind of missing what this is really about. So I will say, yes, God can help you in days of trouble. But when we're looking at this right now, this is a cry for the Lord's favor with war impending. War that is going to be dangerous. War that is going to be difficult. War that is going to have bloodshed. War that is going to have death. And their prayer is for protection. Their prayer is for help. Their prayer is for support. King David remembers something. He only went to war when the enemy attacked Israel. There's an application I think we can think of 
on October 7th. The Israel right now is at war as David wasn't going to fight. He didn't go to fight looking for territory. And when David, King David fought, those fights and those wars came about when the enemy was attacked. Defense, fighting for God's people, fighting the battle with God. And we can't not see the relation to what we're seeing right now because there's debate and controversy. Israel's doing all these horrible things, this, that, this, that. They weren't looking for this. This is an attack that came and this is defense that is taking place right now. Now in the context of our text here, we have to also remember David has a covenant from God. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we're going to look at verses 8 to 16 to just remind us of the covenant that God has with David. Because this is important with the context of the wars that he would fight and the things that he was going. There's promises that he is resting in the security of from God. Verse 8, we read. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously since the time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So in this, there's two promises under his reign. There's going to be a permanent and secure Israel. And he gives that. And if we think about David's heart as a shepherd, that's going to be David's heart caring for the people. And right away, God says that that's going to be taken care of. And two, he's going to build a house. And there's going to be a legacy long after David. David wanted to build a temple to God, but he says, no, a house. And in Chronicles, you can see where God needed a man of peace to do that. That's a separate issue there. But verses 12 through 17, there's the promise of given to David. But guess what? The only way he gets to relish it in his lifetime, faith. Faith. Because it's forever and ever. He's not going to be there forever and ever. But he relishes in that promise and faith, and it's fulfilled partially through Solomon. He has that throne. The mercy of God never leaves him, even though he sins a little bit. Can we say that? And he does build a magnificent house, but we know the future, future fulfillment, Jesus, and the church, God's new house. So we see that again. That's where, as he's coming forth, as he's getting ready for the war, he would have that covenant promise in his mind as he's getting ready for this battle. David's assurance is the picture of Jesus Christ overcoming the enemies to come. 
King Jesus, if we think about seeing him in Psalm 20, think about Revelation. Think about what we see in Revelation 19, 11 to 21, the victory that Jesus will have over the enemies of the world to come. God answers in the day of trouble. The vindication is in the hands of the Lord. Now, verse 2. Uh, sorry, second part of verse 1, actually. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. So here we see they bring now the name of the God of Jacob defend you. God tends, God works on behalf of the weak. Turn to Genesis 35. We're reminded with Jacob where he acknowledges his weakness. Verse 35, verses 1 to 3, I'll read. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Remember, what we're seeing here in 34, there's the incident in Shechem that we talked about when we looked at it in John 4. Kind of cool how it's all coming together. Now, Jacob went there instead of Bethel where God called and told him to go. Genesis 34, that chapter, no mention of God at all. Then you look at chapter 35, you're going to see mention of God more than 10 times within that chapter. And in that, Jacob, he returns, and it shows the power of male leadership because within the home, because guess what? The family comes back and returns. There's obedience to God, and it's God's faithfulness with Jacob, the patriarch, Israel's patriarch, formed. So when they're saying here, they're going forth, may the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May that defense be with you. May he send you help from the sanctuary, the tabernacle of worship, the center of Israel's worship, and strengthen you out of Zion, the hills of Jerusalem. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Remember, David would have made many offerings unto the Lord, many offerings throughout his journey and life and living. And with that also, as they would be preparing for the war, Deuteronomy 20 the reminder in there, we see the principles and the, the values and the ways that you would prepare yourself for warfare. Before going, there would be a full dedication of yourself to the Lord. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint, do not be afraid, and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So within these three verses, the Words and the prayers of the congregation bring about so many reminders of who God is. So many reminders, God's faithfulness. May he, we know, answer in the day of trouble. The God of Jacob, we know, the patriarch for Israel. May he send help. May he strengthen you. May you remember, may he remember all the sacrifices that you brought. So when we look at these first three verses, we see answer in times of trouble. We see defense. We see help. We see strengthen. We see recall the sacrifice. And then we see Selah. And that word, 
74 times we see it in the Old Testament. It's a pause. It's a stop. It's a time to ponder. It's a time to meditate on what has come before. Musically, it's a pause. Now for us, with the whole counsel of the word of God, we read these first three verses, and if we think about what they're asking for, an answer, defense, help, strength, they're praying that the sacrifices of the burnt offering, who's the ultimate one that can answer, that can give defense, that can help, that can strengthen? Who is the ultimate one who took God's fiery judgment as the ultimate burnt sacrifice on the cross? Jesus. So as we see these three verses, us with the whole word of God, I encourage us, our Selah there, ponder Jesus. Ponder that is the one that we go to before the battle. Do you take the time to ponder, pause, and pray about King Jesus? To ponder, pause, and pray about his goodness, his faithfulness, who he is, that he is the answer in the day of trouble, that he is our defense, that he will keep us, that he will help us, that he will strengthen us. Verse four, may he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. The multitude continues their song of praise and their prayer and they know David's desire. David's desire is to defend the people of God. The enemy has attacked Israel the defense will be done for the nation of Israel. It's a shepherd heart. It's a warrior heart. Now we then can look at this and say, okay, they're, they're asking for the desires to be done. That desire that David has is in accordance with God's will. We want to have desires that are in accordance with God's will. Saints, remember, there's only one thing that helps you get there, that you too can be in that prayer fully in accordance with God's will, the word of God. Because as you are in the word of God more, as you let the word of God pour over you more, your prayers are going to change. We just had our time of prayer together. There weren't many prayers that were, well, there were none actually, about I want uh, this car, I want this thing, I want that thing. No, because when we're a body of believers anchored in the word, our hearts pray for what breaks the Lord's heart. We sing that song sometimes, worship team, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Our prayers become fixed on God's will. Lord, may your will be done. And here, the prayer is for victory for the people of Israel. And I think that's a prayer we are applicably praying right now. And when we look at this, the ultimate king that will bring ultimate eternal victory, as we look at this royal psalm and remember that it will have relates to Messiah King Jesus to come, it is Jesus. And that we have to remember. Because we have to remember there were prayers our Savior prayed before the ultimate battle at the cross. Turn to John 17, just to put it in, in real context. This is what I personally, Reformed Catholic, not Reformed, former Catholic, Reformed, no. <laughs> but this is what I consider the Lord's Prayer, truly. I know we have the Our Father. I think John 17, that's the Lord's Prayer. Can't wait till we get there in John. We're going to live there for a year. It's going to be great. We read in verses, uh, starting at verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. 
Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself and the glory which I had with you before the world was. Salvation, God's glory. That's that first prayer. Then in 14, verse 14 of this, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Speaking of his disciples, just as I am not of the world, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. There's that protection. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That anchor, the word protection from him. Then verse 20 and 21, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That includes us. Woo-hoo. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. All to come. When we see this, the people in the psalm that we're studying, praying on behalf of God's people, the nation of Israel, then we see our Savior praying on behalf of the people to come, on behalf of the disciples who are with him, on behalf of salvation to come. Again, that reminder that we talked about in the introduction, the value of intercessory prayer. It's vital. It's needed. It's crucial. So we see that they they are confident, verse 5, and we will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. They are confident in God's victory. We should be confident in Jesus Christ's victory. Because guess what? John 17, that prayer, all answered. Bam. We have the evidence. All of it answered. Be confident in that victory. Be confident in God's ability to bring victory. And they see they're ready to celebrate. Then verse 6 Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Now I know. We shift now to the singular. This is that confident leader and he knows God is king. He knows God chose him. He knows God anointed him. Think of a psalm that we studied, Psalm 18. David knew of God's deliverance. David knew of the power of God's deliverance. He experienced it. He lived it. And then he knew that covenant promise that he had. And he knew his faithfulness. Saints, question for you. Do you rest in God's deliverance in your life? Think of that moment of salvation. That moment we just sang the song this past weekend, Egypt where we think about our moment of deliverance, that moment where the Lord, we are a new creation in him. Do you actually rest in that? And then do you look to the eternal blessed hope? Because when we look at this, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. It's not about looking at the circumstance. War is impending. There's going to be death. There's going to be bloodshed. This is going to be so hard. This is going to be miserable. No, What's David do? What he always does. Looks to the character of God. Looks to the evidence of who God is. Looks to the faithfulness of God. Now I know, confident, he will answer. David knows, and David knows that he's going to answer with the saving strength of his right hand. 
He's trusting God's outcome is best and he's gonna do it and I'm gonna rest in that. Do you do that yourself? We all have a story of deliverance. We all have the same blessed hope to come. How are you doing in the middle? Do you get lost in the circumstance or do you remember the character and evidence of who God is? I can't say it enough. Memorialize your walk with the Lord. However you do it, do it. Because in 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years, that hardship comes, that hard time comes. We're going to probably be raptured before that. But that all goes down. Go back and look at what the Lord has done in your life. Be reminded of those things that you can anchor in them. Now, when we think about the anointed, and if we think about, again, the royal psalm pointing to Messiah, Psalm 2, which we've studied, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Men, we talked about this last night. The rulers coming, they're rebelling against God. They see God as the bondage breaker, uh, sorry, bondage binder, but he's the bondage breaker. That's the reality. But that anointed is Jesus. For us, that is the anointed one. Jesus, if we think about the prayers that he prayed in John 17 and the power and the victory of the cross, guess what he saves us from with his right hand? Sin, pride, doubt, self-reliance. All of those things we are saved from through Jesus Christ, failure and death, through his resurrection, eternal life. We are to rest in Jesus. David in this is resting in what he's known and seen of God. He's resting in that. Do you rest in what you've seen in your life? Do you rest in what we have revealed in the word of God? Then verse seven. Some trust in chariots and horses, and some in, sorry, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Now this chariot and horses, that's a big thing at that time. That's, that's what you're going to need. That's the big deal. That's what's going to get you through that. That's what you're going to have. That is human strength over God's strength. And also, they would have to be reminded, Deuteronomy 17.6, just write that down, I'll read it to you. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, for the Lord has said, you shall not return that way again. David would obey that command from the Lord that came. Solomon would not, but David would obey that. He would remember that and know, and guess what he's standing on? He stands on the evidence of what God has done. The Israelites being delivered from Egypt, there was quite an army that came against them. God delivered. That's what he rests on. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And it's vital that he says, we will remember, because guess what? When the circumstances are rough, that's when it's easiest to forget. If we're going to be real, the circumstances get rough. We can sit here now. We're like, yes, character of God. Yes, we're doing this. Yes, we're going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the hardship comes. The rough comes. And it's very easy to forget. But we have to be a people who says we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. Eyes on God. Our eyes on the circumstance or eyes on God. That's why we need to be in prayer. That's why we need to praise Worship is a weapon. I've said it before. 
singing unto the Lord, remembering his character, remembering who he is. Love the hymns, because if you look at them and you go through, they, most of them are scripture, but boy, do they remind you of his faithfulness, of his character, of who he is. And then if you do a dive on the testimonies of the hymns, it all comes out of people's hardships and journeys with the Lord that they then memorialize through those lyrics. Just as we see in these Psalms, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. God's people aren't about relying on human resources. Our trust is in God. If we were to put this verse in context of now, it would say, some trust in nuclear weapons and AI. But we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. That's the pure application and context for today. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. In this, the nation of Israel, we are standing on God. We're trusting God. We will stand strong. They are going to fall. Boy, does that make us think of what's going on right now. And that prayer for salvation, that prayer for people to know King Jesus, and that prayer for Israel. My prayer in this is that the people would look to Psalm 20 that are in that country, look to that text, and realize the King is Jesus. Come unto him. Come unto him. Come under salvation. Because that's the name that's going to save, because it's eternal salvation. It's forever and ever and ever. For us, we know, again, the reality of that. We have that relationship with our Savior. We know that that is, that is who it is. That is what it is all about. That is what we live for. It's Romans 8, turn there. And I'm going to go verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willing, but because of him who was subject in it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Boy, do we ever. For we were saved in this hope, and but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, remember what we saw Sunday, believing and seeing, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance, the ability to take whatever comes, the ability to keep going and look at the hope that we have, saints. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows that the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we think about that request in the beginning of this psalm that the desires of your hearts are fulfilled. That's the desire. Pray in the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Sometimes it's going to be an utterance because we don't have the words. We don't know what to pray. Surrender to the Spirit and let him intercede for you. We have that gift. King David here has the people interceding. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to intercede on our behalf. Do you allow the Holy Spirit to intercede in your prayer life? It's getting a little weird, Vince. What are you talking about? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to intercede in your prayer life? 
Yes or no? Then we go on, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's a beautiful promise that we have in the midst of the little trials, the big trials, everything that's going on. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. And here it is. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the anchor that we have. That's the anchor that we rest in. And as we think of this psalm, that's a prayer before battle for the nation of Israel, may we pray with the whole counsel of the word of God for the nation of Israel, as many people as possible realize Jesus is God. And if he's for you, nothing can be against you and you have that eternal hope. And I pray for it on both sides of this battle that's going on. But we see that and that's the hope that we have. And that allows, when you have that for us, That security and trusting Jesus, trusting God, that's the heart that sings verse 9 of our text. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. It starts again, verse 1, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. And it ends, save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. Seeking that answer from him. The voice is now all united unto the king. Now, there's debate here with some in the translation, the king, is this the King David? Is it King whatever? It's King Jesus. That's where I land with that. It's King Jesus, folks. Save, Lord, may the king answer us when we call. With the full counsel of the word of God, we know who the king of the world. We know who the king forever and ever and ever and ever is. And he hears and he answers. So Psalm 20, O Lord our God, is the title, part one. This is before the battle. Next week, we're going to look at after the battle. But with this save Lord that we see here, save Lord, may the king answer us when we call. God is the supreme king. Jesus is God. King David, reminder, guess what? Only went to battle when the enemy attacked first. Israel's at war right now. Hamas attacked. There's defense taking place right now. Saints, can we be, as the people of Israel in this psalm, praying for the leaders, praying for the nation? Psalm 20 is a vital reminder also, intercessory prayer. We've got to do it. Prayer is vital. Prayer in it, we can pray for God to answer. In prayer, we can pray for his defense. In prayer, we can pray for his help. In prayer, we can pray for his strength. In prayer, we can pray for salvation all his glory. But if we're not praying, we can't do that. So I encourage us, take this psalm and saints, become a people praying more. Pray for the leaders. Pray for me as your pastor. It's a blessing to know when people are praying. Pray for the elders of this church. Pray for the servants of this church. Pray for the leaders within our nation. Pray for the leaders in your local community. Pray for the men that are in the homes, that they be men leading their homes. Those are leaders to be praying for. Pray for Israel, that they know who the Savior is, that they know Jesus. We need to be in prayer. So many times people now, since being in this, this new role, I'll get the question, or I wanna, how can I serve? What can I lead? What can I do? And my big thing is that I want to say is, are you praying? Do you come to prayer? 
Because guess what? Prayer is a ministry. Be in prayer. Start there. What's your prayer life like for the church, for the bride of Christ? What's your prayer life like for the things that break God's heart? Are you interceding? Are you a warrior of intercession for our Savior? Are you doing that? Because as we pray, as we go before him, he works in here. He works in here in us. He changes us. He molds us. He refines us to be closer to who we need to be for him. Because if we're praying surrender to him, our prayers are going to change. And what matters is going to drastically change. So forget not, folks. Prayer is a ministry. So if you want to get involved in Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, show up to prayer. Now, most of you did. But if you're listening out there in internet land, show up. Come to prayer. It's a ministry. When you gather as fellow believers of this church, be in prayer. So the charge for this week, the pre-charge, kind of like a pre-test. Back in those days, I was that teacher that did that. We're going to have a pre-test, and then we'll have the test. Then we'll have an exam. Your heart check. Check your heart. Trust in horse and chariots or trust in God. Just check your heart. Where, where are your priorities? And when you've gotten there and done that, charge one, pray Psalm 20 for Israel unto salvation. Charge two, pray Psalm 20 for all leaders. Pray that they come to know Jesus. Pray for their salvation. Pray this for them. Pray for the men of the church, this psalm. Charge three, pray more. Pray for all. Pray for salvation. Pray more. We sing that song all the time. Uh, we haven't done it in a while. Battle Belongs. It's Baldrick's favorite song. Battle Belongs. Guess what? So when I fight, I fight on my knees. We need to be in prayer. Because at the end of the day, save Lord. May the king answer when we call. Our prayer needs to be that there's that answer of souls unto repentance and salvation. We need to be in prayer more. It's only through the commitment, as I again was shared, I think, in prayer, looking at the commitment to study God's word, the Holy Spirit is faithful to bring the application to what needs to be. Only God would ordain, we're moving along, we're going through, everything's going on with Israel. All right, we're about just over a month into this now. Let's look at Psalm 20. Let's look at a psalm that shows preparing for that battle. And it's prayer. We need to be in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. And Heavenly Father, thank you for the useful reminders and applications from this text, Lord God, for us. And Lord, I do ask you, Heavenly Father, please help us to be a body of believers seeking your year more in prayer, running to you in prayer, that our default is prayer and reminding ourselves of who you are, your faithfulness, your character, the evidence of who you are as we pray your word, Lord. And as we seek your mercy and grace in the lives of those who do not know you. Many of us have family members who don't know you, Lord. We pray for their salvation. 
We pray for the various leaders, Lord. We pray for our nation who's turned against you. Forgive us. Forgive them, Lord. The leaders that go awry and astray against your word. We pray for repentance, Lord. We pray for conviction that is embraced unto repentance, renewal, and salvation. We pray for Israel, Lord. We pray for your people, Lord. Please bring souls to salvation. That they know you, Lord. That we would remember nothing here matters because it's about eternity with you. You're preparing us for eternity with you. Help us to allow you to refine us and help us to be a people who pray, save, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good night.